look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More Than Money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle Matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli, my co-host here, Dave Popwich. How you doing, buddy? Yeah, I'm good. How about you? We're getting close to the end of the year. You hear ya? The kids are out of school now. Now we gotta keep them busy somehow for the next. Oh, I'm, I'm three just. Weeks. I'm just gonna tell them to Facetime your kids the whole time. <laughs> That's good. We'll keep them. We'll keep them engaged that way. And I'll shut idea. off the Wi-Fi, turn it back on, <laughs> have to restart again. Just mess with them, eh? Yep. All right. I could do that for eight hours a day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're a cruel man. I love it. <laughs> All right. Uh, sorry, girls. Yeah, it's going to be funny. <laughs> it's going to be fun. Sorry, yeah, that's right. Let's talk about uh, the show today is, is going to be actually pretty interesting because there's more and more options opening up with respect to um, where you can live, where you can work, where you can transition to retirement. Yep. Right? Uh, so there's a whole bunch of things coming together at the same time with this remote working, yep. um, you know, the openness that we have and the technology that we have. Could now. you imagine if we could work out of another country? Let's say, I don't know, Greece. Okay. So we could operate, run our, we're business owners, so it's a little bit different. But if you're an employee, could you imagine if our staff could do that? Right. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, we'd have to monitor them on the beach, though, I think. As long as they get their job done. (laughs) Beach up, beach up, team. Beach up. Well, you mentioned Greece, and that's really interesting, because we're going to talk about something that Greece is doing that's very interesting. Yeah. Particularly for people that do have the ability to work remotely and perhaps want a lifestyle. That is different than what we have today. I think it's an interesting way to test the retirement transition. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to live in Greece, so then why don't you work there for right. for a bit remotely and then right. see if you want to stay there. That's very interesting yep. piece there. And there's a, there's a whole concept of economics and how central bankers, pension plan managers, even governments think about the economy. Mm-hmm. Well, that's called an economic theory, mm-hmm. but we're going to show that there might be some flaws to that economic theory and how it impacts your retirement specifically. Yeah. And we've got, basically, these are guests from across the Atlantic all joining us today, where it's going to be, it's going to be fantastic. Yeah, that's right. Talk to, uh, uh, talk to London. Um, okay. Um, that is interesting stuff. Let's talk a little bit about the markets uh, this week as well, and some thinking about that. You know, you and I were chatting a little bit about it. Yep. And uh, there, there's something that I think that we need to raise. So if you think about the common themes of what you're what you're reporting and what the headlines are. It's not a lot different than what it has been over the past couple of months. Yeah. What, what's the thesis that's come out many times mm-hmm. from the, the investor community has been buy on rumor, sell on news. Right. So let's buy the fact that there's going to be a stimulus. Right. Now that we're hearing that the stimulus is going to come out, let's sell on it. Mm-hmm. Let's buy the theory that there's going to be a vaccine. Now the vaccine's being deployed. Let's sell on it. Let's let's get away from it. This is it's not happening in the markets right now, but this is the conversation of let's let's act on this now that we've got all this news. Yeah, well, and and even more importantly, you know, we talk about the superpowers and what we fight against as investors, the superpowers of structure and discipline, and what we're constantly fighting against is volatility and time, right? And and I want to prey on this this idea of volatility and time for a minute. So over the past, I don't know, two two and a half months. Um, maybe a bit longer than that. I've been talking about this idea of U.S. stimulus. Correct. And, you know, some days it appears that Congress is getting closer to a stimulus package, and some days they're getting further apart, and then some days it stalls and blah, blah, blah. And you see volatility created by that uncertainty, right? Um, 
take out stimulus, insert vaccine. Yep. Take out vaccine, insert whatever you want in there. Yeah. Okay. The question is, how do you trade that? Should you be responding to the day-to-day movements? And let's just stick with one thesis or one uh, um, idea here. Stimulus. Congress stalls out. Okay. That's a point in time that I think you have to challenge your thesis. Okay. Is this a stall? And do we still think it's going to get done or is it done? Yeah. There's no stimulus coming. Let's assume that it's just a stall. It's negotiating to the last minute, which they always do. Okay. <laughs> Should you be trading day-to-day off that? Should you be worried about the day-to-day volatility caused when, by that headline? When you're building your portfolio for retirement and you trade on any type of news like this, you increase the risk of getting it wrong. Right. So if you have play money mm-hmm. and you're a trader, that's a different conversation. Right. But when it comes to people who are saving their, their hard-earned money for the long term, mm-hmm. are going to be using this for income over their retirement. When you start to react to things like this, is it going to happen? Is it not going to happen? First question. And then when is it going to happen is the second question. Those are big bets you're making if you act on those, those different scenarios. Mm-hmm. And that just increases the probability of capital destruction in your retirement. Agreed. Right? Agreed. And that becomes a problem. Right. That capital destruction, and I'm not saying, oh, you're just going to take a loss. Right. And you can, you can earn it back. Right. I'm saying destruction. Right. That means it's gone. Right. You're not going to get it back. And I've seen too many people try to time what's happening without just taking an array of probabilities and putting out a portfolio with structure mm-hmm. and discipline to handle the time and the volatility. Right. I really like this superpower thing that you've been, you've been yeah, working on. Yeah, it makes sense to me. It's easy to think about, right? You're not going to get a cape out of this. But it's, <laughs> oh, yes, we are. You're not, I've got them on order. That's your Christmas Super present. Dave is here. That's right. You're going to have to tune into the video of this. We're do you remember Super on. Dave? Wasn't he? Oh, yeah, Super Dave Osborne. Yeah. Absolutely. Remember what he used to do? Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, I do. That, so Super Dave it is. Okay. <laughs> We're aging ourselves now. There you go. Yep. <laughs> um, okay. But let's, let's, so I want to ask you a question. So as a, as a portfolio manager, right, and let's just stick with the one idea so people can follow our thinking. Stimulus. Okay. Um, so months ago, you know, it appears that the economy will need further stimulus as the pandemic continues to go. We don't have vaccines in place, but Congress is stalling out. Yep. They can't come to a conclusion on it, right? How do you handle that? What do you think about in terms of the time frame and structure when you say that? Yeah, so I think when, when we start looking at your buckets of money, yeah. first of all, what bucket is this impacting? Right. Is this impacting your income bucket, which is the next 5, 10 years of cash flow? Right. It shouldn't be impacted on that. Correct. Do not even assume that vaccines or stimulus or anything to do politically needs to be in, put it in your in your income bucket. Right. Cuz you not you don't have risk assets. So now you have normal. a 10-year time frame. Yeah. What the heck does a stimulus being 6 months out, 1 year I got to do with a 10-year time frame? Yeah. The question is will they stimulate if the economy suffers? Here's right? the problem and I, we have about a minute to go before okay. we have to go to commercial break. Is the the peop, that the average investor, the average advisor yes. will take what's happening today and put a big painted brush on your entire retirement on that scenario. Right. And that's why I say capital destruction will happen. Right. And, and that's when you dedicate assets. Income is isolated from these political issues. 
Let's just have cash flow for the next 10 years. And then you have a growth bucket that you have a 10-year time frame minimum. Right. Now you can think of things in different perspectives. Correct. What's going to happen 10 years from now? Who, who knows? Yeah. How do you budget for that? How do you, how do you build a portfolio for that? Right. With discipline. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. With discipline. That's right. And sticking with the theme. Like, we don't know when they're going to solve the, uh, the stimulus problem, but the high probability is they will if they see more people losing their jobs and so on and so forth. Okay, so... I, we'll have to continue to talk about this and help people through that, but um, we have to bring it all together, right? Structure and discipline equates to peace of mind through retirement, right? We're going to talk about that very topic at our upcoming seminar. That'll be on Tuesday, January 19th, 7 p.m., live online. Go to morethanmoneyradio.com to register. You want to save on taxes and live on a beach? Stick around after the break. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with David Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Hey, Faisal, it's been... It's been a long sort of spring last year. It's going to be a long <laughs> winter this year. People are going to be ready to, uh, to get to someplace warm. And we've also maybe have some flexibility coming up in our, in our ability to work remotely. And, and, and there are many people that are talking to us saying, that's it. Once this whole pandemic is done and I, right. can, I can leave this country and be, live somewhere else, I want to do that. I want to do it. And I prefer so. it to be warm and there be beaches and beautiful blue water. Right. Yeah, it's a that's a good it's in a good, many cases. It's a good spot. <laughs> it's a good spot to be for retirement. So all right. Well, the Greek government's doing something interesting. Okay. Um, and I think we want to explore that a little bit. Um, and uh, Jeff Opdyke, who is the editor, of the Savvy Retiree, that's a publication of International Living, is joining us to help us understand what's going on in the world of international living and international travel um, that might be of interest to people that are retiring. Jeff, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, we appreciate um, you know the the work that you put into here, and I think it'll be interesting to people to hear about uh, at least what one government is doing um, that might present some opportunities, although it might be a short term opportunity. I'd like you to tell us a little bit about the incentive that the Greek government is offering for people to actually move, work, and live there. Yeah, so they're basically trying to uh, to, to attract the, the new remote worker, the digital nomad. And you sort of alluded to it in your in your intro with, you know, people might have an opportunity to change their work environment. That's particularly the case in, you know, uh, across the U.S. Uh, and uh, it's the same in Canada. It's the same in the U.K. to a degree. Um, and you have all these companies that are basically allowing their workers to go, you know, work from home. And that's going to extend into 2021. And there are a lot of countries around the world that are picking up on this. And they're trying to lure those those digital nomads, those remote workers to their shores. A lot of it is taking place in the Caribbean, um, but there's a couple of places in Europe that have begun to spring up. And one of them that's really of interest, the one I think is probably the most interesting of all the countries, is Greece. And it's because they're going to give you a 50% reduction on your taxes to go you know, live and work there. Uh, and that, that reduction is good for seven years. And at the end of seven years, it just so happens you can then apply for Greek citizenship if you want, and you'd get a Greek, a Greek passport, which is an EU passport, which means now you can live and work anywhere in the EU. Okay. Um, now, that, that at a high level sounds very interesting, right? You think of Greek. I've not been to Greece, but um, I certainly have seen all the pictures. That looks yeah. fantastic, right? Certainly better than the winters we've got here in <laughs> Calgary. Um, and I know that we're speaking to you in Prague, right? You're in Prague right now, so that's, uh, that's pretty cool. But I want to... What does it mean to do that? There's some steps that people have to be aware of. Like if you're going to leave the United States or you're going to leave Canada, 
to move to Greece, there's some things that they need to be aware of. Can you share some or give us some insight into what people should be thinking about there? Well, you just have to be aware of the fact that, you know, you're going to have a different a different financial system you're going to be operating in. Um, you're going to end up keeping, you know, if you're Canadian, you're going to end up keeping your Canadian bank accounts and you're going to live in Greece and you're going to operate in the in the euro. So now you're going to be sort of operating across dual dual currencies because you're still going to have financial obligations back in Canada uh, or in the U.S. if you're if you're an American. Um but the process of actually doing this is, is fairly simple. I mean, as long as you have a passport, you fill out the application, they, you know, they check a criminal background profile to make sure you're not, you know, some kind of Jack the Ripper wanted criminal. Um, but other than that, it's a fairly simple process. And, you know, they're really trying to encourage um, or, or sort of sway people to give up, uh, you know, their, their current lifestyle and, and consider something, you know, like living on one of the Greek islands and, and working as a digital no matter a remote worker. And I, I got to tell you, I've been to Greece. I was there last year for about two or three weeks, and it is just a gorgeous place to live and work. So let's go through that digital nomad. Kind of walk me through typically what type of individual is considered to be a digital nomad or in a remote worker. Like I'm trying to think in, in parts of Canada, people work for large or medium-sized corporations. Yep. Their employer says you can work from home if you'd like to, can home be Greece at that point in time, or is there some other criteria that, that qualifies them as a digital nomad? I mean, you'd be surprised at the size of the digital nomad slash remote worker universe these days. Uh, and it, it covers a really, really broad range. I mean, there are lawyers that are digital nomads. There's writers, photographers, um, you know, marketing directors, uh, engineers. I met a guy in Prague last year on the subway, of all things. I was wearing a, a UCLA sweatshirt. And he had gone to UCLA, and we started talking. He's a he's a retired Boeing engineer, and retired only because he decided to quit early so he could travel around the world. And he 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 uses his his knowledge of aeronautical engineering to basically freelance for a bunch of airlines around the world for their you know their corporate departments. He goes in and does all kind of you know consulting stuff for aeronautical issues all over the world. And he's he's just a freelancer. He's a remote worker digital nomad just bopping around the world wherever he wants to go and he he hooks up with whatever local airline there is there and he does whatever he does as an as a, as a nautical, uh, aeronautical engineer so the, the the span of opportunities is just enormous it's not just some sort of writer photographer thing that you you might think about or hear about so the we're hearing more and more about you know uh, countries or different jurisdictions trying to lure, uh, you know, take tech workers, you know, from Silicon Valley, high-paid, uh, educated people to their area to work remotely. So, you know, what does somebody have to consider here? Um, and are there arrangements that they would need to make with their employer? Um, and what's what's unique about Greece's offer from others that are out there, other jurisdictions? Well, let me start with the last part of that. What's unique about Greece is that they're saying, hey, come over here. We're going to give you the 50 percent tax break and it's going to last for seven years, which implies that you can you can stay there. You can be there for a long time. A lot of the places that are um, that are offering this right now, particularly in the Caribbean, are short term. They're for a year and then you've yeah. got to go. And they want, uh, you know, a good chunk of income. So in, in the Cayman Islands, for instance, you've got to earn at least $100,000 a year to qualify. Not everybody's going to earn that as a digital nomad or a wor remote worker. You know, in the Bahamas or Bermuda, I can't remember which one it is now, maybe it's Barbados, 
um, you know, they want forty or fifty thousand uh, dollars, and they're and they're going to want two or three thousand dollar application fees for the visa, which right. can be kind of expensive for some people. Greece isn't like that. Greece is a, a relatively inexpensive application, and there's you know the the minimums are kind of low for for income, and you know it's just a it's just a better option as far as I'm concerned because it gives you the opportunity if you like this lifestyle to continue that lifestyle. You don't have to worry about leaving after a year. Now, Jeff, just maybe before we finish up here, in order to take advantage of the tax treatment, um, I assume that uh, Canadians, Americans would have to become non-residents from a tax perspective in order to not be taxed on their worldwide income. Um, Can you comment on that? Well, in in the U.S. in particular, I don't know about the Canadian tax system, but the U.S. in particular, you're going to be taxed on your worldwide income. It's just that you're you're eligible for something called the foreign earned income exclusion, which allows you to avoid paying uh, personal income taxes on the first hundred and eight thousand dollars in 2021. You're still going to pay self-employment taxes at whatever that rate is, 12 or 15 percent, um, and you're going to you're going to pay into the Greek tax system, but you're getting a 50 percent tax reduction right off the bat because of this visa. Yeah. Okay. And and I think to that point, if anybody's thinking about doing this, American, Canadian, whatever it might be from the UK, you should make sure you check, you get proper tax advice on how that will be, uh, will be treated to, to fully take advantage of that lifestyle. But I think that's, um, that, that's really cool. And, and Jeff, we're running out of time here. So I just, I want to thank you for uh, the article for bringing our attention to this. This is something I don't think is going away after COVID, Faisal. I mean, yeah. I think there's going to be a, a, a level of flexibility that workers have that this kind of a thing is going to become more and more uh, interesting over the, the year, the years to come. Exactly. exactly. Jeff, thank you very much for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me. Enjoy Prague. We've been Jeff by, uh, sorry, joined by Jeff Opdyke, who is the uh, editor, The Savvy Retiree. That's a publication of International Living. Well, my friend, uh, that, you know, more opportunity. Out of crisis often comes opportunity, right? When you think about your retirement lifestyle, how many people were thinking about, you know, realistically moving to Greece or transitioning there in preparation for retirement. These kinds of things are going to continue to come up. However, we just we have to talk about what that lifestyle looks like and how to fund it and how to how to prepare for it. How to prepare for retirement on Tuesday, January 19th, 7 p.m., live online. You need to register to attend. So go to morethanmoneyradio.com. That's morethanmoneyradio.com to register. Everything you, you know about economics today could be absolutely wrong. Stick around after the break and we'll explain. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. We teased before the break that maybe everything we know about economic theory is wrong. Yeah, that, that's exciting. Yeah, it's exciting. <laughs> that's right. Um, and listen, we're going to have to go all the way across to London here to get an answer to this question because there's some really interesting thinking being done um, and some work being done. And it's kind of the intersection of physics and thermodynamics and economics all coming together. Wow, Boy, wow. if that hasn't scared you away, stick around for this because it's, yeah. <laughs> it's actually pretty interesting Th- stuff. There has been a, a, an, on, an idea of how economic theory has been handled, not only by yeah. the, the academics of the world, but by central bankers, by politicians, and so it's time to test this and see. We've seen a, a different theory come across. Yep. Let's test it. Let's go to the, the brains behind this different theory yep. and see what's, what it's about and how it may impact the world. Yep. Uh, so we're going to welcome uh, Ole Peters, who's a lead researcher at London Mathematical Laboratory's economics program, uh, to our program. Ole, thank you for joining us. Hi, yeah, thank you for having me. Now, um, 
in your thinking, your modeling, and we're going to get you maybe just to tell us about the economic theory, but what you're suggesting, if I understand it correctly, is that current models fail to predict how people, humans, actually behave because the math is flawed. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your economic theory, and then we can talk about how it differs from current economic theory. Okay. So I wouldn't say that it, current economic theory fails to predict entirely how humans behave. It just does it in a strange way. And um, it, it's, it's, it's really a historical quirk, I think, the way that um, the current theory operates. Um, so to understand this, you would have to go back to the 17th century and look at the very early days of uh, probability theory, because economics really, um, well, when it deals with people who have to make decisions, then it, it always uh, imagines that these people make decisions about things, things that they don't fully understand, or they, they have some lack of knowledge about them. So this is modeled in, uh, um, in, in a way uh, that uses probability theory or a theory of randomness. And the, the historically curious thing there is that economics was the first discipline that started modeling anything in this way. So the very, very early problems in the 1650s and later in the 1700s um, that, that were mathematical treatments of randomness are all economic um, problems. But the mathematics at the time and the concepts that we had at the time were not... Um, we're not fully mature, and it took another two centuries or so until other disciplines started using concepts of randomness in their formal models. And so, in particular, in physics, this took a long time. The physicists were pretty, pretty slow, um, and really only got serious about it in the 1850s, 60s, 70s. And then we get a different, um, you know, we get a different angle on randomness, and this gives us different. Um, uh, conceptualizations really for why people behave the way they behave. Um, I can go into more detail if you want. <laughs> <laughs> no, we want to understand how people let's, are behaving. Let's go with this random theory and how people behave. Yeah. So there was there was an in the article, mm -hmm. they were talking about the concept of flipping a coin, mm -hmm. um, and if you choose heads, your portfolio will go up fifty percent. If you get tails, your portfolio falls by forty percent. And this random yeah, coin that, flip, people were, would think, yeah. hey, that's a good deal. I can, I got a 50-50 chance. If I keep on doing this mm -hmm. 10, 20, 30 times, things are going to be okay because there's, there's going to be as many times for me to make 50% as there is to lose 40%, but 50 is better than 40, so let's, let's take that option and away we go. But the theory kind of breaks down there. Yes, so that's a really good um, illustration of this of this problem. So the early concepts that were first developed in the 17th century, they would look at this gamble and say, imagine everything that could happen in the future, and then just average over these possible outcomes. So you would average over, and you weight the average with the probabilities, in this case it's 50-50, it's a fair coin. So you just take this average of 50% up, 40% down, and you say, well, on average, I'm 5% up, so that must be good. But what people noticed 200 years later is that that's a specific kind of a strange sort of average because you're averaging two things, only one of which will happen. So it, it takes uh, counterfactuals and treats them as if they were real. And the alternative to that is to, or one alternative is to imagine that you just continue playing this game repeatedly again and again. And so if you toss this coin and you win 50% first, and then 
lose 50, 40% on the next uh, uh, coin toss, so you play this in sequence, then they actually you're actually down 5% rather than up 5%. So these two different perspectives um, give you totally different answers as to what you should do. Um, the first, this ensemble view tells you it's a good gamble. I should play this at the second where you make the dynamic explicit and you think along the time trajectory tells you, ooh, this is not a good idea. Maybe I should stay away from it. So this is very interesting because as people transition to or live in retirement and they are quote-unquote, gambling with their retirement savings, they come across this theory in practice. Yeah, in practice right. So they're going to say, I'm going to push all my money into the stock market, and we're going to hope, because more times than not, the stock market makes you money, and it'll all work out because the averages over the last 30, 40, 50 years has been 6 7 8%. So I'm fine. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be okay the behavioral concept behind that actually is flawed because it's not going to be that easy. And, and, and this example of flipping the coin kind of illustrates that. Am I, am I going down the right path here? Yeah, I think there's the right path. So I think the, the way this translates into sort of um, uh, places where you have to double check and be careful are exactly these, these kinds of questions. So I'm, you know, I'm investing for the long term. Well, if it's really for the long term, make sure that you're, you know, your concepts are adapted for doing something over a long time, not over a large imagined ensemble of parallel worlds, right? That 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 could be misleading. And I think in, in terms of policy, this is often underestimated. So what you can see in the coin toss is that in, uh, over time, you will be hurt by these fluctuations. They actually uh, translate into a negative growth rate in that case. And um, the, the current theory doesn't really um, uh, represent that properly. And it means that as a policymaker, I might underestimate just how painful it is to have these fluctuations in the system. So I, I may use the current modern theory and say, well, on average, everything is fine, so we can, you know, privatized pension systems rather than have uh, uh, state-funded pension systems or more centralized systems that would have uh, smaller fluctuations, right? That's, that's an example. And you can then say, well, what are the actual costs of doing it one way or the other? And um, my, my sense is that the current theory underestimates the costs of um, uh, this privatization where you get everyone essentially gamble with their, with their, invest, with their uh, retirement savings. Ole, we've been saying the same thing in our industry when we're managing people's money for their retirement. In my industry, there has been a notion of just living off the averages. The average will work it out itself out, stay in the game, and you'll be fine. When it comes to pension plans, when it comes to retirement savings, random theory doesn't work. It, it's, it's what we forgot in the whole concept of it is is these out, what they call outlying positions or outlying issues like a pandemic and all of a sudden things can get completely eroded like your coin flip. If you did this every single time for 10 times in a row, you're going to see the downpour of this. And I challenge anybody listening to, to the show to actually try this mathematically and see what comes out of it. These are no longer low probability outlying positions. These are potential issues that can destroy pension plans, that can destroy retirement plans, that can destroy retirement savings. 
And I, I'm glad that you brought this out as, as a piece because people need to think about this. You're going to get a lot of people saying, no, this is not true. This is not going to, it's not, you're, you're out, way out in left field. You're the outlier. Yeah. Um, but it needs to be addressed. And I think I, I'm very happy that you did this. Thank you. <laughs> okay, Ole, uh, we're running out of time. Um, to, not enough time, obviously, to do justice to all this research. I do want to thank you for your uh, your time today and the and the education. We're going to keep in touch and uh, watch with some interest how this this rolls out and how people um, can learn to apply it. So, thank you for joining us. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me, Ole Peters, lead researcher, London Mathematical Laboratories Economics Program. Dave, this is a very interesting again for me, uh, being in the, in the in the field and so forth. I find this very interesting, but what I think the learning outcome from this is that economic theory, Mm -hmm. central bankers, pension plan managers, politicians, individual advisors, and individual investors use something called the law of averages. The law of averages will work itself out. That's that's almost a religion now. People believe in it. Okay, it's not proven. Right, it's a belief. Right. These sorts of things where if you go through a test and you can see some of the biggest problems out there, a 40% drop in your, in your savings is possible and happens many times through someone's life. Yeah. How you recover from that is even cha- more challenging. And these economic theories that people are presenting to the average retiree who doesn't do all this research, who doesn't right. do, have this type of skill set, it can really erode their 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 lifetime savings. And so I, we need to educate, and this is part of the purpose of it, let's continue doing this sort of thing, and I'm glad that we had Ole on the show. Yeah, I think so too. Um, and listen, we have to try to put theory into practice, right? Correct. Because what Ole, what Ole said, if you took nothing away from that, is that the theory and the way uh, we experience it and behave through it can be different, and we have to deal with reality. And the reality of how to have structure and discipline <laughs> yep. for your retirement so you can avoid these types of pitfalls is what we're going to talk about on Tuesday, January 19th, 7 p.m., live online. You need to register, so go to morethanmoneyradio.com. That's morethanmoneyradio.com. Okay, stick around after the break. If you've lost trust in your current advisory team, how do you regain that? You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. There's yet a story. It was a, a yep. question um, that we're going to put in terms of a story that'll, I think, help a lot of people address this notion if they've lost confidence or been burned. What like and moving into retirement and doing it themselves. How do you trust somebody to help you with that process? Let me go to the question that we that we received. The question is: At what point do you determine you need a financial or retirement advisor to ensure you're going down the right path for retirement? What he basically says is, all I really need is a 6 to 7% rate of return. So do I really need an advisor? And I've been burnt in the past. Yeah. So I don't, I'm having a hard time trusting right. anybody. Right. So all I have to do is get 6 to 7%. So when do you really need a financial advisor as you go down this path? Right. What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, uh, listen to the... Uh, uh, when do we go down this path? I don't want this to sound self-serving. Yeah. Okay. Um, because we're industry guys. But there's a series of questions built into that, okay? And I understand the being burned aspect. So number one, I think you have to, listen, there are people that have the skill sets that can do all of these things, but it's not just about return. So when you think about retirement, I think we've done enough work around this that if anybody's been even a medium-term listener of this show, they understand that 
as you move in transition to retirement, it is much more complex than just a 6 to 7% rate of return. Right? There's multiple buckets. The reason we have four buckets is because you have multiple goals, and in many cases those goals, income versus growth, yep. are mutually exclusive are mutually exclusive goals. Right? So to get a 6 to 7% long-term rate of return, which is an S&P 500 rate of return, you might have to suffer a 40% pullback or 51% back in 08. And God forbid you have to draw from it. Correct. So the problem is the, is the complexity of the situation as you move into retirement and introduce a notion of a withdrawal creates, um, creates a, a, a different, changes the rules of investing as we talk about. The, right? the second piece to that is individuals have taken the concept of what a financial advisor is, yeah. what a retirement specialist is, yeah. and turn it into, oh, they're just managing portfolios and money, right. and that's it. That's a good, great point. That, and so that's why it's, oh, all I need is a 6 to 7% rate of return. If I can do that, I don't need you. Right. And that's where I think the biggest problem lies, that they, they, they make... They put the equal sign as retirement specialist equals portfolio management only. Right. That's not the right equation. Right. And I think people need to kind of take a step back and say, when do I need a team of advisors right. to handle the problems that I'm going to have in the future? Forget about just retirement, anything. Right. If I've got medical problems, WebMD can help me. Right. I don't need a doctor. Right. Or do I? There are times where you need a professional to right. come in and help you with certain things in your life. You know, you, that's a really good example, that, that WebMD, because on average, this is the outcome. Google's a great, <laughs> great right? uh, diagnosis of any problem out there. Right. Just Google your symptoms, and it's going to come up with either you got the common cold or you got cancer. Congratulations, figure it out. Right. And then you go, oh, oh I might need some professionals. Right. And so when do I? It's interesting in our industry, Dave, individuals will put the equal sign of retirement specialist equals portfolio management, making me money in my portfolio. Yet n people generally don't say seeing a doctor equals I will never have any problems in the future. Right. Yeah. It's not, it's on a prescription by prescription basis. Right. And so the difference in mindset is our industry has not done a very good job with explaining to individuals that it's more than money that yep. you have to deal with. Yeah. yeah. It's about a whole bunch of things. And so as you build your retirement team, mm -hmm. you need people who are experts in those areas so you minimize issues or you'll have to self-diagnose and use a whole bunch of your own time, energy, and resources to figure it out yourself. Right. Those are the only two options that you really have. Right. Yeah, but, but the, the, question, the question was over, overly simplistic and it comes from a, uh, a perspective, in my opinion, of a person... Who has um, who has been in accumulation mode of their life, right? And they well, they don't it. know the problems. No, no, exactly. But but remember, we, we're often reprogramming people because when you're accumulating, sure. when people are, think about when you were 20, 30, 40, yeah. right? Um, with your savings, you only had one goal, just one, just get bigger. Yeah. Okay. Well, when you move into this period where we call it technically called decumulation, where you're living off of your savings, correct. Right, you're withdrawing from that. The complexity changes because the nature and the timing of those withdrawals messes everything up, and so and so that's just a very. What I would say to this person, if you're listening, okay, is you need to think a little bit about what's what what's coming. Yeah. Right. Not, so hard to do though, Dave. No, no, I get it, and I that's it. why mm -hmm. even sitting down with an advisor and saying. What are the problems you see a, right. a couple going through in retirement? And this gets to the question. That's, right? the, fir that's the first question I would ask. Right. I wouldn't talk about your portfolio. Right. I wouldn't talk about your investment philosophy. Or what are the problems? Just do the fact-finding on that. Right. 
And then you'll kind of get an idea of what the issues are out there. Right. And then you can decide, do you need someone who can help you with those issues? Well, and then ask a little bit about the structure and discipline to deal with those problems. Correct. Right? Because then you can understand the approach. Yeah. So what are the problems? Right. How do you deal with those problems? Right. Ask 10. Right. I'm going to make up a number. Yeah, yeah. Ask a lot, of, a lot of professionals. Yeah. And then come to the conclusion, do I need someone or not? Right. And, and it's interesting. We don't do that enough in any type of facet when it comes to a legal issue, a medical issue, a financial issue, whatever. Even with your own vehicle. What could go wrong with my car? That's right. Well, here are all the things that could go wrong. Right. How many of these things can I fix myself? Right. And how many times do I need a, a, a professional to take care of it for me? Well, and then the preventative maintenance and do all those things. Correct. Right? Yeah. And so we don't do that enough. And right. so when you've been burnt in the past, you've dealt with an advisor, you, you invested with them, and for whatever mm-hmm. reason, it didn't work out. Initial reaction is that advisor was the bad advisor. Mm-hmm. And I get that then you've lost trust in the industry as a whole. How do you, how do you actually trust somebody after that? Well, you, listen, you've got to go back to what we've just said. I think as a consumer, you need, to, um, you need to, to become more educated. And this is a serious issue, right? This is your retirement. So you need to spend some time thinking about what it is that you're trying to accomplish, you and your family. Yeah. Right? Then you need to, I mean, list these questions that we're talking about. And you need to interview a number of people. Correct. A number of people because you need to get the different answers and responses. Then you need to analyze the approach and does it make sense, right? Dig in on those details. Yeah. And then, you know, we often get asked for references, client references. Mm-hmm. I, I want to jump on that one for a minute because I don't think that's particularly useful. Because nobody's going to give you, if you're a business owner or done business, they're just going to give you people that are happy. Yeah. You're going to get good. You know, call the manager. Call the branch manager of the office to find out how they're doing. Call, you know, somebody that... that Who's going to say anything negative about you like that? Y- yeah. Right? But, but process. You, so you got to verify process, right? It's like Amazon reviews. Like, <laughs> yeah. people look at the best review. Oh, it's a good product. Let's get it. Yeah. That's it. And, and even on TripAdvisor, as an example. Yeah. I'll go to all the negative reviews first. Yeah. And I want to see, is it, is it something that's an individual issue or is it a... Yeah, recurring. A reoccurring issue out right. there. That's what you do. And those are some of the questions. When did you get fired and why? Why? Yeah. Or if there was a mistake or a problem, how did you fix it? Right? To assume there's never a mistake or a problem is silly. Correct. How'd you fix it? And if they say we never get fired, they're lying. Right. They're lying. Yeah. Yeah, I was building a house. Okay? I never built a house before. Okay? I was relatively uneducated. I compared it to my experience often with clients that come to us who are relatively uneducated and unsophisticated in this. Yeah. And I started asking the questions that I should be asking. Holy, you must ask a lot of questions. I did ask a lot of questions. Jason was going crazy, and he did a great job. And one of the questions I asked him is, Jason, what kind of mistakes can we expect here? Yeah. Okay, well, here's what's going to happen in, in all likelihood. Set the expectation. How did, how did you handle that, Jason? Beautiful. Behavioral interview. Right. Love it. How did you handle that? So that's the answer to the problem if you're looking to either... Trust another advisor or find an advisor. It's a behavioral interview. Right. Fantastic. And you know, and I refer Jason to this day, Faisal, based on the fact that he solved the problems the way he said he was going to solve them. So if somebody asked me, would you refer your builder? I'd say, absolutely. And then I say, I'll tell you why I'm referring him is because there, when there were mistakes made, he fixed them as he said he was going to do. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. So how do you fix your retirement? Yeah. How do you make sure you can bulletproof that, that cash flow? So you can enjoy the things you want to do for the remainder of your life. That's on. We're going to have a seminar on that mm-hmm. online Tuesday, January 19th, 7 p.m. 
but you need to register. So go to morethanmoneyradio.com. That's morethanmoneyradio.com to register. Thanks for joining us for another edition of More Than Money on 770 CHQR. Until next week. David Popovich and Faisal Carmeli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmeli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. David Popovich and Faisal Carmeli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmeli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.